And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who used to love walking faster than their parents. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, is it ever beautiful here on Milleronia today. I know, I know, I've said before, I create the weather and I run the weather and the weather doesn't do anything I don't want it to do. But it's still really important to say thank you, weather. It's beautiful today. And it is, folks. Oh, boy. Milleronia, if I do say so myself, was a wonderful place to build. Well, Milleronia. And uh, Colonel, well, Colonel Jeff agrees. And uh, so do our dogs. And, uh, well, my wife and kids love it, too. It's a lovable place. And it makes you happy. Unless, of course, you do something wrong and have to be thrown in the volcano. One of our three volcanoes. I made those two, and I run them, too. But I don't throw you in the volcanoes. No, no, that's, uh, of course, that's the job of Ali Dungmeister Jr. But we have a wonderful time here. We love it very much. And, oh, boy, it's gorgeous today. And, you know, well, that music makes me feel even better. It always does. Uh, Of course, that's the Tommy Lamoro Orchestra and the Bette Midler Dancers, featuring boy tenor Colonel Jeff Fox asking the musical question, how come I never see someone running who looks like they're enjoying it? Well, they're not. That's the main reason. In fact, That's the only real reason. They're not. They're not enjoying the running. Now, people will tell you they do, but they sure don't look like it, do they? They don't. They they don't enjoy it. I'm I'm glad. You know what? I I used to jog and, uh, well, I think it's good for you. And I I think it, well, it makes you feel like you've really done something that day. But I wouldn't say that they're uh, enjoying it, that I'm enjoying it, that I would... I don't... You, you don't jog with, an, with a grin on your face. Well, you, you know, that's... You just don't. So in any case, good question, Colonel. How come I never see someone running who looks like they're enjoying it? Because they're not. And boy, oh boy. And I also want to say that's... Uh, we wanted to mention the Bette Midler dancers because... She is starring in another remake of, well, uh, Hello, Dolly, which is a gorgeous... I almost said Guys and Dolls there for a second, but it's not that. Uh, but Hello, Dolly, what a wonderful show. It's a good movie, too, but uh, folks, if you haven't seen Hello, Dolly on stage, good Lord, Carol Channing was in the first one in 1964 on Broadway, and Pearl Bailey was the star of the uh, second one. Boy, oh boy, I have to tell you, I saw Pearl Bailey in that. My mother took my sister and me to the theater, to Broadway, and uh, from where we, well, we lived on Long Island, and we saw Pearl Bailey. That was the all-black version, by the way, of Hello, Dolly. It's a great show, folks. I remember still some of the funny bits. What a wonderful stage 
Captain, what a wonderful mistress of the stage there. Pearl Bailey ran everything. It sing beautifully, move beautifully, was dramatic, was funny. Boy, oh boy. And now the great Bette Midler. I just uh, told Colonel beforehand, you know what? If, uh, when, if they come out here, I'd love to see them on Broadway. But uh, if Bette and her, that whole cast and her dancers and everything about that show, if they come out here, I'm going to take my wife and my kids and we're going to go there too. And maybe a couple of extra Marines also. Boy, oh boy, she's just great. So I wanted to mention her right there before boy tenor Colonel Jeff. And uh, you know what? And by Amazon and PayPal. That's right. It's just a great place. Amazon and PayPal. Boy, folks, you know what? Amazon's still one of the greatest companies on earth because they do three things no one else can do. No one else chooses to do. Number one, whatever you want, you can get it. They have, they have everything. Plus, number two, they already have it. They don't even have to call for it. They don't have to order it. They don't have to find someone who does have it and wants to sell it. They have it. It's already sitting right there in their warehouse. And uh, that's a mile long and a mile wide and a mile high and a mile deep. It's just everything's a mile. And uh, you know what, folks? Boy, oh boy, that Amazon. Go to Amazon, but wait, here's a better idea. And number three, in the things they do that no one else can do, they send us as they're one of our sponsors, and we love that, and they send us a percentage of whatever it is you order. And that money goes in cash right into our steel box where we save money for our next big fancy fried chicken dinner and two drinks beforehand in a different place. In any case, thank you, Amazon. Don't go there yourself. Let us take you. Sure, you could go there on anything electronic you have, but you know what you do? Go to our website, Larry Miller Podcast, almost forgot it again, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> That's a jaunty trumpet player. <laughs> Colonel Jeff always finds a great, a great button for that, for that song. In any case, though, you know what? Do that. We'll take you there. Go to our website, and there's a banner that says Amazon on it. Click that banner, and then go to sleep. Take a nap. Get down in your big lazy boy chair, and wherever we are, Colonel Jeff and I will get together, and wherever it is, and we'll get you to Amazon. Could be the middle of the night. We don't care. We'll get together and get you there. And also, PayPal will do the same thing for you. You know what? PayPal boy, folks, you know... They, you always feel like you're saving the world when you're working with PayPal. And who knows, maybe you are. So what you want to do is, by the way, go to PayPal. It means, that it means the world to us. If you, what you do is, you, we have another banner on our website, LarryMillerHumor.com. No, wait, it's not Larry Miller Humor, is it? That's something else. That's one of my websites. Yeah. <laughs> How dumb can one get? Not that dumb. Close to it. And uh, at any rate, go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> That's a good one, too. I don't know why. I just had an image with that one of, whoa, shoot, 
Like that was one of those where on the old films they used to, that sound comes out of your butt. And I don't mean because you've just expelled something. I mean, it just, whoa, it just, it just sounds great. Like it comes out. And the guy, as they were doing that, he might be on ice skates on a lake, but he he's fanning back there. That one of his hands is, whoa, let's time, I think it's time to go home. But first, maybe step into that bar. In any case, folks, do that. PayPal is a great group. If you if you if you're looking if you if you love our show, and why wouldn't you? And if you really like uh, listening to me talk to you, and why wouldn't you? And you really want to help us out, and why wouldn't you go to PayPal? And you know what? I like saying that because sure you could. I don't. I'm not very fond of saying. Uh, well, you could be join the Platinum Club with something you send. Or oh, you know what? You could if you send enough, you'll do this. You know what, folks? I just like saying. Buy us some drinks, and that's that. That that's the truth. That that makes me feel better. It certainly makes Colonel Jeff feel better. And you know what? So do that to us. Go to Amazon or PayPal. Just work with them, boy. They're two terrific groups, and I'm glad they're part of my show. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. Well, yeah, I love this too. Yeah, the joke of the week. Nothing better than passing along a good joke to you. And if you like it, you tell your friends, your family, your loved ones, and, well, that keeps the world happier. And that's that's okay by me. And uh, this is a good one. Uh, fella walks into a bar and just orders 12 shots right off the bat. 12 shots of whiskey, and they, they, the bartender lines them up, and uh, that fella says, well, well, here I go. And he takes one, and bam, he knocks it back. He puts the glass down, then takes the second one. Knocks it back. Boom. Third one. Knocks it back. Right over, One right after the other. Fourth one. Knocks it back. Fifth one. Knocks it back. And the bartender is watching. The bartender says to him, boy, uh, you don't mind my saying so. Boy, you're knocking those down pretty fast. And the guy says, well, you'd be drinking them up pretty fast, too, if you had what I have. Oh, what do you have? 75 cents. <laughs> and we both got a laugh out of that, and I hope you did too. And uh, you know what? It does. It means a lot. Nothing like a good joke like that. Please do. Pass it along. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. better day than a than a nice string quartet like that nobody no better thing to put in any day that's because it's so beautiful back here on Milleronia. in any case folks this is a great poet ogden nash i've read things from him before ogden nash what a great wordsmith what a good wit and what a man who loved also just well the sweetness and the drama and the humor of words his poems are wonderful and this one is called Spring Comes to Murray Hill. And Murray Hill, by the way, in case you don't know, is a neighborhood of New York in Manhattan on the east side, right on the river. And uh, so here it is. Spring Comes to Murray Hill by Ogden Nash. 
I sit in an office at 244 Madison Avenue and say to myself, you have a responsible job, haven't you? Why then do you fritter away your time on this doggerel? If you have a sore throat, you can cure it by using a good goggerel. If you have a sore foot, you can get it fixed by a chiropodist, and you can get your original sin removed by St. John the Bopidist. Why then should this flocculent lassitude be incurable? Kansas City, Kansas proves that even Kansas City needn't always be miserable. Up, up, my soul, this inaction is abominable. Perhaps it is the result of disturbances abdominable. The pilgrims settled Massachusetts in 1620 when they landed on a stone hummock. Maybe if they were here now, they would settle my stomach. Oh, if only I had the wings of a bird. Instead of being confined on Madison Avenue, I could soar in a jiffy to second or third. <laughs> I love that guy. And he's so smart and has such a good heart. And he just, he, as I said, God bless him. He makes things sweet and funny. And I'll bet he did that with his with his regular life, too. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. MMM, Triple M, the magic movie moment. Uh, still just a great theme song for that. It's a happy day here on Milleronia. In fact, that sounds like a good title for a movie we might make ourselves here. And... Uh, Boy, this is a great movie, though, to talk about today. From 1960, Spartacus, directed by Stanley Kubrick, starring Lawrence Olivier, Kirk Douglas, Gene Simmons, Tony Curtis, Charles Lawton, Peter Ustinov, Woody Strode, John Ireland. Oh, what a cast. It goes on and on, by the way. Good Lord. And uh, it's just a beautiful movie, folks. It's set in, set in ancient Rome. And they have drama, and they have trouble, and they have love, and they have commitment, and they have rebellion. And boy, oh boy, well, Kirk Douglas is great in this, and so, Lord, so is Lawrence Olivier, and Tony Curtis, and slaves who want to rebel and be, well, don't want to be slaves anymore, led by Kirk Douglas. And the magic movie moment today, there are so many in this movie, but the magic movie moment for me was the memory of when Lawrence Olivier, who plays a big aristocrat in Rome, and he's, well, he's as wealthy as you could be, and his family goes way back, and they have, whew, he's a big military man also, and, you know, in addition to being, well, I think he's a senator also, but he's everything, and uh, he's hunting and fighting for Spartacus, for Kirk Douglas, and to not just break break up the whole rebellion, but to break up Kirk Douglas. And uh, folks, there's a, a scene in it where Lawrence Olivier, and boy, well, he's, as you, you know, you must know, he's such a great actor, and he plays a guy, not a nice man at all, but he doesn't see any problem with the way he runs things, and he does whatever he wants, and he has captured Tony Curtis, from the rebellion and he's going to make tony curtis his houseboy, his uh, servant and if you can 
You should wink when you say that. That's uh, you know, that's uh, that means well. That means he wants Tony Curtis in any way you can think of that. And he says to him, Lawrence Olivier says to him when Tony Curtis is new in his house, just in case you missed the point of it, he says to Tony Curtis, do you like shrimp or oysters? Seems like an odd question, and Tony Curtis doesn't know what to say to that. Shrimp or oysters? And he, Lawrence Olivier says to him, uh, some people like shrimp, some like oysters. And Tony Curtis just looks at him, and uh, Olivier says, I like both. And number one, you can see in Olivier's face, he's such a great actor. He, he likes both, and he's going to do what he wants. And he's saying that to his new houseboy servant, Tony Curtis. And uh, Tony Curtis has got to be thinking what we're thinking in the audience of just, oh, holy mackerel. Uh-oh, that's... Well, so there's no way, there's no time or way to say, so you mean I, I should start liking both? Because that doesn't matter to a guy like Olivier in this movie. But boy, oh boy, folks, it's a great movie. It means so much. It goes up and down. It tells such a story. They're all so good. Charles Lawton, Peter Ustinov, Gene Simmons is great, who plays Verinia, who falls in love as a slave with Kirk Douglas, and he falls for her. Folks, it's a wonderful movie. There are several other versions of things that have been made since, and there are TV versions, and good luck, that's fine. They don't mean anything to me, because there is one that means everything to me, and it is this one from 1960, Spartacus, directed by Stanley Kubrick, and with Lawrence Olivier, Kirk Douglas, Gene Simmons, Tony Curtis, and so many others. Please see it soon. If you haven't seen it, see it soon. If you've seen it like me 30 times, see it soon again. And uh, even if, well, you don't like both. <laughs> you won't have to say, yikes. In any case, sometimes the little things in life mean so much. We all know that lesson, but we forget it sometimes. And I, I had an audition yesterday, and uh, it was at a place near downtown in Los Angeles, obviously before I got back on my secret jet plane to come back out here to Milleronia. But for that audition, you know what? It was, as I said, near downtown. It was a house there, and uh, oh, boy, good place. And uh, I went in there, and the, the, uh, the front door leads to a, a, a flight of stairs. Well, there had to be 25, 30 stairs there, and you just, all right, and uh, that'll take you up to the lobby level of this one casting company. And so, all right, so my appointment was for uh, 3.15. I got there at 3, and I had the script, and I had worked on it, and I wanted to be great, and I wanted this part a lot. And I started up those steps, and yeah, so you get, well... 25, 30 steps up there, you get up there and you're, holy mackerel, all right, you know, okay, okay, okay. And I sat down there, and in the little lobby area, and it's very nicely done, very well decorated and, well, a classy place, actually. And uh, boy, folks, I'll tell you, 
And I knew a couple of the actors there and said hi. And uh, there were eight or nine actors there for the same part I was going up for. And eight or nine kids who were up for other parts in in this show. And uh, and that's fun. So that's a bunch of people. And, uh, and I sat down and started. Well, the main thing is, folks, that, you know... Uh, I'll tell you what, the, the, you know, you sit there for a while. I told you I got there at 3 o'clock. My appointment was for 3.15. I signed in there on an electronic board, which I asked for help on, by the way, because I couldn't, you know, uh, I asked, there was a nice young woman there who was uh, the receptionist, and I said, could you please uh, do your good deed for the day and show me how to work this goofy thing here? And it's not the first time she's heard that, so she came around and old uh and showed me how to do this and that, and she got me all read, you know, registered and set up, and uh, and I sat down there, folks. It was so hot in that lobby, and I mean Iraq hot. I mean it was, uh, you know, they if they next time they cast if they're going to make one of these in Iraq, well that'll be fine because they know how to make it hot. But I'll tell you something. I sat there. We all did. We sat there. They were behind, which happens in casting. But I didn't get in until uh, 4.30, quarter to 5, and, well, that happens. So you're there for an hour and a half or more in the heat. And I'm telling you, folks, I noticed something that, uh, well, uh, it's a nice part of town, too. It was uh, There was a street called Gower, and there's a place called Gower Gulch, by the way, which is where a lot of writers from Hollywood days uh, worked and had lunch and... Uh, and that street, Gower, looks right up at the Hollywood sign. And I mean, it's three or four miles away, but it's right there, center in the hills, and you just look up and you think, boy, that's terrific. It reminds you of so much that's good about show business. That sign, that Hollywood sign, wow, it means the world. It does to me, and it, it, that's why so many tourists still love to go there. And in case you don't know, that's what C.B. DeMille saw when he first came to Hollywood. He was working, and this is 1914, and he was working. Everything was done out of New York. All the executives and all the companies, little companies, uh, were all in New York, Manhattan, or in New Jersey. And you know what? He was sent out to Arizona to direct and produce a film uh, a Western, uh, you know, with crooks and good guys and bad guys, and the weather was so bad. It was so stormy, and it was so rainy and windy, and they, they couldn't get a shot. He sent, after two weeks, he sent, uh, well, a, you know, a, a telegram back to all the bosses just to say, we haven't gotten a shot yet. It's, it's so bad here. The weather is horrible. I'm not sure what we're going to do if we can, I guess we can wait or just we'll get this thing, but I don't know how or where. And then he, part of the the letter he sent back, the telegram, he said, now, here's an idea, though. There's one of the crew told me that there's a place in Southern California, which is not too far from here, called Hollywoodland, which is, by the way, what that sign said, what those letters said originally hollywood land because it was put up by real estate people and they had some houses they were looking to sell and that was in a neighborhood they were calling hollywood land and he wrote that back to his uh, bosses and they said uh, go ahead go there 
And he did. And he was the first one. That was the start of Hollywood. When C.B. DeMille got there, and he looked up in those hills, and he saw that sign that still said, Hollywood Land. And he said, I think this is going to work out just fine. And it did. I, I was telling Colonel Jeff, you know, that's why I still love when Hollywood was new. Oh, boy, not just in, you know, then 1914, but through the 20s and then into sound movies. There's If you've ever seen some of the old Laurel and Hardy movies, when there's, then they're wonderful. They're just great. But I love that right behind them, as they're trying to get a piano up some steps, and how well do you think that's going to go, by the way? Huh? <laughs> what do you think's going to wind up with that? But just behind him, as they're moving this piano, you can see the hills, the Hollywood hills, that have nothing in them. There are no homes yet. Nothing. And you can see stakes in the ground setting out the streets before the streets were there. You can see little wooden stakes with little little white pieces of cloth tied to them. And I love that. I love saying, how do you like that? That's Hollywood in 1931. And uh, folks, it, you know, it means a lot to me. So I, you know, here I am in a, at this audition and there, oh, well, you know, kids and adults, as I told you, but it made me smile because, you know, well, it was a long wait and there was the heat, but I'm a big boy. I'm not a baby. So I can, you know, sit there and Everyone else was was like a sauna, but I mean, every time new kids got there, well, the kids would just come bounding up the stairs and big smiles and, uh, yeah, just 25 or 30 steps didn't mean much to them in that heat. And, uh, but when, uh, so kid actors were fine. Every time an adult actor opened the door down there and you could just see straight down it and he looked up. And he started trudging up those, you know, the way just to get to the lobby. Well, you could just see the look on every actor's face was, I hate stairs. Why does it have to be stairs? Couldn't they have an escalator or an elevator or something? This is a nice house with nice decorations. But it made me, it made me smile to see every kid actor thrilled and running up those steps and every adult actor thinking, Oh, boy. But, you know, that reminds you again. It reminds me that adults aren't like kids. That seems like an obvious thought, but they're not. I remember, and I was telling Colonel Jeff this before, walking with my parents on our trips to Washington, D.C. That was our big family trip. Oh, we made it five or six times. We, we lived on Long Island, and we would pile in the car, and my dad, as all dads, was the one in charge of putting all the luggage in the trunk. And uh, he'd pack us in there and we'd get in the car. My dad and uh, driving, my dad driving and my mom sitting next to him in the front seat and my sister and I sitting in the back seat. And we would drive down to Washington, D.C. And we loved it. You know, I know it doesn't sound like such a fancy thing. But we, we liked it. It was, a well, a four or five-hour drive. But it didn't seem that, it wasn't bad to us. We really liked it. And, uh, well, you know, I was, a, I was a seat bouncer. I could hold the back of my mother's seat and bounce on this. It was a Chevy, a 61 Chevy. And uh, I would bounce on the seat there. And I was okay with my parents. I would bounce for four or five hours. And, uh, mm, mm, mm. 
And we stopped always in Williamsburg and Jamestown in Virginia, which were colonial cities, and they, they, they made them to look that way also. And they put a lot of care and, and a lot of effort into that. They hired a lot of the students from William and Mary, William and Mary College, right there. And they would dress as colonial settlers. And they would have a fife and drum corps with the young men uh, marching along there and doing, putting on, well, the shows of, uh, with their muskets and as if they were attacking. And the young men and the young women there were doing, and they had colonial villages, which is terrific. We always stayed, by the way, and uh, wherever we were, the point is I would walk with my parents and my sister and other adults that would sometimes either come with us or meet us there, my Uncle Arnie or, or uh, Aunt So-and-So and Uncle So-and-So who might have lived in Pennsylvania or Maryland, and they would bring come down and bring their kids, and we were in Washington. And folks, I'm telling you, wherever we walked, we would always go to the White House. We never got in. We weren't even trying to get in. We would walk around the White House there, where you all know that fence. And, well, to us, that was pretty neat. Again, it didn't seem so fancy, maybe, but it sure was to us. Might have been a small thing, but it wound up being a big thing. And as we walked from the White House, we think, oh boy, I guess we're going to go get some dinner or a late lunch or something like that. And also the same thing. It wasn't a, one of those. It wasn't one of those fancy restaurants where senators might have gone. It was well, Dupar's in uh, is is a nice place out in. Uh, out on the mainland back in uh, in the valley, and I like going there. It's always clean, and it's not fancy, but so we would go to a place like that. But the point is, folks, we would start walking, and my parents would be walking with uncles and aunts, and I was a kid. I was seven, eight, or nine, so I would, oh, I love to walk and march and just giggle, and I couldn't believe, and I still remember this clearly, 50 feet or 100 feet ahead, in just minutes, a couple of minutes. And then I would stop and turn around. I couldn't believe my folks were 100 feet back. They weren't running like me. They weren't skipping and giggling like me. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't believe they wanted to live that way. And I, just, I couldn't believe it at the time. Even as a kid, I thought, how can they barely walk like that? Well, to them, it was a great adult time. To them, they could stroll. To them, they could stroll and chat. And whew, I always remember we'd stay wherever we went. We stayed at a Sheridan Hotel. In, uh, and they're not a sponsor. I'm just saying that. We always stayed at Sheridan's. And uh, they were pretty good places there, too. And I remember, by the way, we got into one on one of our Washington trips. And uh, Washington, D.C. is not such a big place, but we, got a, we found a Sheridan there. And, uh, oh, it was great. We, that was our trip down there, driving. That was a five-hour drive. Uh, and so we got into that Sheraton, well, I guess about six or seven at night. And it was still light out. And we were a bit, a bit, a bit tired. And uh, my dad and mom and me and my sister had pulled all the stuff up, all the luggage, and got it into the rooms. It was so cool because we had two rooms connected by a door. Well, that was pretty fancy for us. That was two double beds in each room, and they were connected. We'd leave the door open and just have two rooms instead of the one we normally took with, well, 
we would all we would just uh, crowd into the two double beds in one room, like a regular hotel room. But boy, we had two rooms now, and we ordered something. We ordered some food. They still served something or other, and we didn't order anything heavy. Just a well, a couple of cokes and a, a couple of baskets of fruit or something, and maybe a couple of burgers, and. Uh, and well, then they just didn't come. They didn't get there. They didn't come to the room. They uh, 40, 45 minutes and didn't get there. And I, well, my uh, my dad uh, called back down there and said, you know, uh, we uh, ordered the food. Uh, could you please send it up? It's been about 45 minutes. And I said, oh, yes, sir. You know, sorry for the delay. And the same thing. Nothing came. Nothing came to the room. And it, what you know what? What is this? Is this a, is this a practical joke room or something? And uh, and they and I was starting to get tired by now. It's eight thirty or so, and so my parents just well, they just put me on uh, one of the double beds in the room my sister and I were going to share, and uh, they took the uh, well, they took the bedspread down off of it, and they uh, on you know pulled down the uh, the sheets and the blanket and then puffed up the pillows, which was great. And they said, go ahead, you relax a little. I washed up and brushed my teeth and, uh, you know, put some pajamas on. And I went out cold, and boy, oh boy, oh boy, that was pretty good. And then, once again, boy, the food didn't come, so I was out cold asleep. And so now, finally, my parents just, you know, looked outside the rooms, and someone had hung the Do Not Disturb sign on the door, our door, my door. I had done that. That's a, you know, well, that's a, a kid's thing to do. A nine-year-old boy, that sounds like a great idea. Hey, you know what? I'll, I'll put the do not disturb thing on the doorknob. And that's why the food wasn't coming. Because in those days, well, you know what? The Sheraton people were really trained well, and they wanted it to be in a nice place for families and an elegant place. And uh, every time they came up with the food, they saw the Do Not Disturb sign and just went, oops, and turned back around and took it back down. And uh, my parents told me they they looked at me sleeping. I was, I was out cold with a smile. You know, I was dreaming about Ann Margaret or something. And, you know... <laughs> And they said they looked at me and then looked at each other, and they were really tempted to just walk over and wake me up, just, you know, shake me, hey, hey, Larry, you know, give what, what, what? And then, you know, then do it, do it then. You, you, why did you put the do not disturb? But they realized that's, they were good parents, God bless them. They were good folks, and they realized there's nothing, there's, there's nothing to do to that. There's no lesson learned from that. So they just, well... All right, he said, let's let me sleep. And then the food came up. My dad called again and said, if you please bring it up now, then we'll, we don't have any signs or any billboards up there. So they did, and uh, my sister and my parents had uh, their dinner on a little table in my parents' side of things, just through the center door there. And, well... I was uh, still dreaming about me and Ann Margaret and Viva Las Vegas, I guess. But you know what, folks? Those are great memories, little things like that. The colonial villages in Williamsburg and Jamestown. Whew. 
Gee, they were wonderful. Seeing the guys march, I wanted to go to William and Mary College for a long time just because we went to Williamsburg and Jamestown five, six, seven times. That was our family trip. And uh, I did a lot of... Uh, well, you know, uh, we stayed at a Sheraton, too, when we took my sister up to Syracuse University, where she went to college. And when we took her up for the first time, for her freshman year, my parents and I uh, were staying at a Sheraton, right to, off the freeway there. And my parents and I got her in her new dorm with all her luggage that we took off that Plymouth station wagon. And, boy, I remember, by the way, there was a, a little TV tray outside the dorm with some coffee cups and a pot of coffee on it. And I thought, gee, that was, that was nice of them. And well, I was a little a little tired and a little a little sweaty after lugging all that luggage up and down. And I uh, so I wanted, there was a big cup of, a uh, styrofoam cup of milk. And I said, no, that's the one I, I want. I need to slake my thirst here. And I did, boy. I tipped that back and started, you know, glugging it and... Uh, and that's when I realized, by the way, it wasn't milk, it was cream. So after I got about nine ounces into it, I was like, oh, I don't know if anyone's ever had that much cream. That's not what you're supposed to do with it. You don't chug cream. You chug beer. I did that later, but not, not at the age of 14. At any rate, we did that. We stayed at the Sheraton there, too. And then we were in Moody's Cafeteria. Every day... Every meal, which is right near the Sheraton, just a block away. And I thought a cafeteria was the greatest place in the world. This is one of those places you take the tray, and you know them, and you start moving down the line there, and you order whatever you want, and they had signs up. And then one of the signs said, ham and eggs. And I had never had ham before. And uh, we grew up in a kosher home. And I said to my parents... Uh, Hey, could I get some ham and eggs? And they looked at each other and said, uh, sure, go ahead. And uh, I did. I got ham and eggs, which are eggs uh, sunny side up, and a piece of ham. And it wasn't a giant thick ham steak. It was just a you know, couple, pieces, couple of pieces of ham. And uh, I remember my parents saying to me, so I, I ate part of it, and then I ate the eggs, and I ate the toast, and... They said, well, what'd you think of that ham? And I, and I said, uh, I didn't think too much of it. It was just kind of a little weird. It wasn't, I'd rather just have some bologna or something. And I remember they said, you're exactly right. That's the point of the whole operation. And oh boy. I remember that when we, uh, when we took my sister there, they still in those days, this is the fall of 1968. And they still on that campus... They gave all the freshmen a cap that said, well, SU for Syracuse University, and uh, only the freshmen wore those because they still had a tradition that you wear that all the time, and wherever you walk on the campus, one of the upperclassmen or classwomen could and would say to you, tip it, frosh, and that was one of the traditions, and you'd, oh, you'd pick the cap up and out of well, I guess respect or something or other, but freshmen had to do that. And uh, I borrowed my sister's. I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I didn't think that was mean they were putting them down or anything. I thought, oh, wow. So I, my sister said I could wear the hat 
anytime I wanted. So I did. I'd wear it as we walked around the campus. And they all said to me, tip it, Frosh. And I did. I'm sure they. I, I had a bigger grin on my face than anyone, anyone else they said that to. But you know what, folks? Again, small memories become great memories. Those car the car rides to Washington from uh, Long Island were fun, long but fun. Windows open, no air conditioning. We didn't have uh, that. That was those were still the no air conditioning days, or they were for us, from 1960 to 1962, 64, 66, things like that, and. Uh, Dad was driving, Mom next to him, me and my sister in the back. We only had two games. We had two games for those trips. Playing license plate with every other car. I don't know if you ever did that. Looking for out-of-state families. That was pretty neat. You're driving down from New York State, from Long Island, to Washington, D.C. Well, it was pretty neat to see, hey, look, Ohio. And, wow, that's a family from Ohio or Indiana or whatever it would be. Texas, look, that's a Texas plate. Boy, oh boy, those were terrific. And then those were games, so you'd add up a score. You know, if you're looking for, Mom would say, okay, let's all try Missouri. Let's try that. And uh, you'd look for those. The only other game was trying to dodge my father's lit Chesterfields as they came back in the car window at 1,000 miles an hour after he flicked them out. And uh, he didn't know they came back in. <laughs> and my mom didn't know, but they'd catch that air out there and just, whoosh, they'd whip back in at me. <laughs> I said, whoever was in the back seat. And I remember they'd, they'd come back and they were still lit. So you're back there, we'll try to dodge them, but you you know, ow. <laughs> and then they didn't know, and it was still something you laughed at. It wasn't, all right, so... So the little lit cigarette butt <laughs> Chesterfields would hit you in the face. You know what, folks? These were very meaningful times. And that's still the best part of it that, well, still the best part of it that small things became not only big things, but things you never forget. And uh, God bless them. I love my parents still. I miss them. But boy, oh boy, mom and dad sure knew how to plan a good trip and a good drive down the East Coast. I hope you have memories like that, too, because you and I know the same things. We know that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. So remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks the game's over and you've won and that's the truest thing i know still is car trip or not be well and we'll see you here next time <laughs>